Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you guys. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 in a little bit. Uh, how many, how many, curious, how many were able to, uh, how many caught the news this morning? How many like have to check the news every day before you, listen, I don't recommend it, okay, but I got to confess it. I'm a control freak, so part of that means I have to check the news every morning to, to you know, to find out what people got away with while I was asleep. So, uh, uh, but I did something today I haven't done for a long time, is I actually picked up a physical newspaper and read it. I don't take the news at home, so I watch my, my news feed, we'll maybe flip the, the news on in the morning, we'll have something going there, but, uh, well, thank you. But, uh, but I, I have gotten this habit of collecting um, uh, kind of bizarre, strange, goofy, who didn't proofread that? <laughs> And think about it, uh, headline. I've collected those over the years. So these are actual headlines, honest, these are real. Um, something went wrong in jet crash, expert says. <laughs> Police begin campaign to run down jaywalkers. I like this one. Iraqi head seeks arms. <laughs> My, Miners refuse to work after death. War dims hope for peace. Cold wave linked to temperatures. Red tape holds up new bridges. Does it give you a lot of confidence as you're heading across? Uh, uh, man, man struck by lightning uh, faces battery charge. New study of obesity looks for larger test group. I like this next one only because there's a little bit of junior high in every one of us. Astronaut takes blame for gas and spacecraft. Local high school dropout, dropouts cut in half. Hospitals are sued by seven-foot doctors. Seven-foot doctors. Last one. Sorry, it took me a while on that one, too. Last one. Typhoon rips through cemetery, hundreds dead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm so glad to, to be here with you today. Uh, I live just down the street from where uh, Pastor Mike is speaking this morning, so we kind of made a deal. If he would go and speak to our, our youth conference down there, I said I would come up and speak up here. So it was awesome for him to be there. It's awesome for me to be here, first of all, because I love being with all of you. I've uh, enjoyed being with you many, many times over the years. But, but this time, I, I'm happy to be with you because that means I get to be away from home. Because right now, after 21 years of living in the same house, my wife and I are moving across town in about 14 days. <sighs> How many love moving? Okay. I tell you, I told my wife about three years ago, I said, you know, if we ever think we're going to move, let's just throw three hand grenades into the house and run as fast as we can. Because the idea of doing all that, we're just so, it's just, it exhausts me just thinking about it. And so earlier this year, we were, we've been talking about downsizing every year. Because, you know, the, the kids are gone now and the, house, the big house is getting too big. And, and so uh, we, we, were, we talked about it every year and said, no, nah, it's just too much work. It'd be too much. And so six months ago, we finally said to each other, you know what? Do we think that 10 years from now, we're going to all of a sudden have like more energy 
than we have now. We just better do it now. So like we are moving in two weeks, but I'm gone all next week in Des Moines, and the week after that, our kids are going to be here for Thanksgiving, and we're moving into a house that has no electricity yet, no floors, the kitchen isn't set, and we're just, we're, it's going to be great. I, I, I hate moving, because I am a bad mover. I don't move well, all right, because uh, I don't plan well, especially for like those, like this one, like those, uh, those short across town moves. We uh, years ago, when we lived in Sacramento, we were doing a move about half, halfway, half a mile down the street. And because it was just such a short move, I thought, you know, we, we can pull this off easy. We'll, we'll just borrow a few pickup trucks, you know, and get a few friends, come over, order a pizza, and we'll just do the, the quick, easy move. Well, the way it turned out, of course, all of your friends, you know, they call in dead that morning when you need help. And so we had like one couple, Greg and Natalie, they're going to help us. And all we could come up with is this tiny little Toyota pickup truck with you know, the really old small ones with the small beds. So we did like 15 trips back and forth and back and forth. And now it's 11 o'clock at night. We are exhausted. Okay, People are moving in the next morning to the house that we've been living in. And I go into the house for the last time. And I'm basically going to go in and flip lights off. And, and you know, you're exhausted, but you feel good because oh, we're done. And I head out to the dining area, and I look out the back, into the backyard, and I see it. There is my five-year-old son's big, herkin, huge, old-school, galvanized steel swing set still set up in the backyard. This is the one that his grandma, my mother-in-law, bought him brand new two years ago. <laughs> when we moved, the one that came in three huge heavy boxes that had those big words, you know, some assembly required, you know, emblazoned across the, 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 the front of it. And those words just kind of hung on me because I'm sitting there looking at that. It's 11 o'clock at night. We have to be at, out. And I, I realized that it took us like, like four of us, it took us like three hours in broad daylight to get that thing put up. It's 11 o'clock. It's completely dark outside. We have to be out. It's just me and my friend and our little tiny truck. And I'm exhausted. And I'm thinking through the ramifications of what if we just left it as a gift for the next people who didn't have any children, but what if we left it for them? <clears throat> and how would that play with my mother-in-law? That would not be smart. Or my wife. Or how emotionally scarred would my five-year-old be the rest of his life about the father who, who gave away his swing set? And I'm, I'm just standing there like this. And my buddy, my buddy Greg walks up to me, and he just stands there like this, kind of, kind of in, in reverent... Uh, 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 solidity with my solidarity with my with my painful torment and then he looks at me and says he says pastor gary he says what i'm about to tell you is going to sound crazy but trust me i've done this before <laughs> and 15 minutes later we are in his little car and he's in the front seat i'm over here uh, my wife is in the back his wife is over here. The windows are all rolled down, and we are each holding one leg of that huge swing set going down the road, looking at the next generation. This honestly happened, okay? We did, <laughs> we, I'm not a good mover. We did another move a, a little while later where we moved, again, a short crosstown move, where I thought, because my wife always had this great big uh, uh, saltwater aquarium, these very exotic fish, and I just figured out, if we're very careful, we, same truck this time, 
no friends this time. And so if we could put, if we could very carefully put that in the back of this pickup truck, I could actually get it over to the new house. I wouldn't even have to take the fish out or even take the water out. And I drove very carefully, and I did, and I would have been fine, except when I went over the little uh, railroad tracks there. The, the, I had the Weber barbecue was sitting next to it with the remains of the last barbecue, and it kind of oh. did that into the into the aquarium. I don't move very well, so how many know that my wife puts up a lot? Right? She puts up with a lot, right? But but the, but the long distance moves are a whole different kind of animal, okay? Because in a long distance move. It's more of a logistical feat because you've got to take everything you have and put it in one truck all at once, okay? And it's more of an emotional feat because you're leaving behind everything that's familiar and everyone that you so deeply love. So it's, it's, it's a whole different kind of event. And when we moved from Oregon to Sacramento to plant a church, it was that kind of move, and uh, we had everything packed up into our truck, and it was about 6 o'clock in the morning. And we went across the street uh, to see our closest, dearest friends, Ken and Relina. We, we were two young couples. We got married about the same time. We went to, they started going to our church, and we just became really, really close friends. We would even vacation together really, really close. And so we go over there, and uh, so we have our coffee together, and uh, it's time to say our goodbyes. And so, you know, uh, Ken, stand up, uh, Brother Pastor Jeff here. Brother Jeff, stand up. Stand up, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to be Ken. So Ken, Ken and I, we did, we, I think it was actually, we didn't do a handshake. We did a hug. You know, we did one of these kind of things right here. Okay. Did you see that? Do that again. You know what that means for men? That's enough. Right there. That's it. That, that's a man hug. Okay. We did boom, boom. So we did our man hug and kind of stepped back. And, and then I watched my wife and Rolina. Man, I had to turn my head because it was so painful to watch these two sisters. Can I do this, you know? But we get back in the truck. We're emotionally kind of getting our equilibrium back. And we're just getting down into I-5 and thinking, okay, we got this. We can do this now. And then I hear this horn honking. And I look over through, the, through the truck down in a side mirror. And it's one of our other close friends, Marcy, who just happened to be on I-5 at that moment. She's got her window down. She's hanging out the side. She says, I love you, Joan Hill. I'm going to miss you so much. And my wife just is melting down. And I just step on the gas. But... <laughs> They don't go very fast, so, but, but you know, you get through all that, and then, but it's cool because it's like you're on this new adventure. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like we're Lewis and Clark, or, or maybe Lewis and Sacagawea, or, 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 like, or like we're, we're, we're John Luke Picard, or, or, or like, or like uh, James T. Kirk, because we're, we're going boldly where we've never gone before. We're going to meet new life forms and new civilizations and all those things. I always do that to make sure I don't have any Star Trek friends, friends in the room, because... I don't, go to the, I don't go to the events, but I almost could. I'm that weird. So. <laughs> but it's so cool because you're going places that you've never... You're, new, you're on a new adventure, and there's something very real and very alive about that. We're going to talk today about a, another guy that was on another adventure. His name was Abram. He later gets his name changed to Abraham. We're going to read his story from Genesis chapter 12. In fact, I'd like you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word. I always love to stand when we read God's Word. Uh, and I want us to read together out loud. Do we have it up here? Verses 1 through 8. Big voices, everybody. Ready? Go. The Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord, there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. You may be seated. We're going to talk today about about beginning a new journey with God. And the first thing, you want to jot these down. The first thing is this. It is never too late to begin a journey with God. It's never too late. Notice verse 1, he says, Now the Lord had said to Abram. Underline the word had. He, he, the Lord had already spoken to him by the time we get to this point. The Lord had called him sometime before. He had called him to strike out on this adventure. It would require him to leave all that was familiar for that which was unfamiliar. Now, now, when exactly had God spoke to Abram about this? Well, we don't read about it here, but if we were to go over, or to go over the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, we would get more details on the timing of all this from the first martyr, Stephen. Stephen is about to be martyred for his faith, and basically he takes advantage of that very uh, painful moment to retell the story of God's dealings with Israel and in it, he tells some details that are helpful for us here. Uh, look in uh, Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. He says, he says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in the land of Haran and said, Go out from your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out from the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So let's think about this. Abraham was growing up in Mesopotamia. Now the exact city we find out in yet a third place was the city of Ur. U-R. Okay? Ur. Ur was kind of the, uh, the hot spot of their day. It was, the, it was the place to live. It was a more affluent place. Um, it, was, uh, it was actually a place that the first, um, the first bathtub was invented. Okay? Now, I know that to us, you know, a bathtub is kind of a normal thing. But, but in 1946 B.C., the, having a bathtub was, you know, that was the highest thing you could have in a living scenario. So that was, like, that was like a big thing. That's where Abraham lived. So it's pretty clear from Scripture that Abraham and his family had done pretty well for themselves materially, so he probably had one of those bat bathtubs. In addition to being rich, Abraham was respected as a leader in the community. 
He also, he also had a stunningly beautiful wife, as does every husband in this room. You see how I did that, guys? You see, you just kind of work that in there, and you make sure you say that. So he had the beautiful wife, you know. He was, also, he was also very religious. Now, the Scripture tells in other places that at that time, Abraham was religious, listen, even before he knew the God of heaven, even before he knew the God of the Bible, even before he knew the God that we serve, he was religious. See, religion is man reaching up or out or somewhere to God, okay? And at that time, before God had revealed himself to Abram, he was worshiping the gods of his area, most likely the moon god. That's kind of who people worshiped in that area. But it wasn't until God spoke to him, which he does here, and he speaks to him clear back when he's in Ur, in Mesopotamia, and he begins to obey the voice of God, but he doesn't do it all at once, okay? And he doesn't he begins his journey, but he doesn't leave his family like God told him to. He goes with his family. And, and by the way, he even lets his dad, uh, named Terah, he lets his dad lead, probably in deference as they would in that culture, in deference to the elder person in the family, the patriarch. So he obeys God, but not completely. He begins his journey, and they don't get all the way to Canaan like he was told to. Instead, they stop at Haran, which was like a border city for the Chaldeans. It, it would be like if, if we decided, hey guys, we're all going to go to Mexico City. We're going to drive to Mexico City, and then when we get to San Diego, we just stop right there. That would be the equivalent of what, what they experienced. They didn't make it all the way there. That's where Terra stopped, and they lived there for many, many years. So they left, they, they stayed there in this kind of, in this pause of obedience. By the way, it's interesting to me that, that Terra's uh, name actually means delay. That's what his name means. Isn't that something? It was only after Terra's death that Abram really got serious about resuming the journey that God had originally called him to. Here's the truth, folks. I want you to listen very carefully. It is never too late to begin or resume a journey with God. Can we just be honest about this? God is so patient here with Abraham. It's never too late to go from partial obedience to complete obedience. You know, it's interesting to me, it says so much about the character of God that God didn't say to Abraham, you know, Abraham, I called you 25 years ago, and when I called you, you kind of responded, but you didn't really pack up and go like I asked. You didn't leave anybody. You kind of took everybody with you, and you didn't get all the way to where I wanted you to go. You stopped partway through. So, you know what? I'm just going to kind of write you out of my promises. I'm going to kind of write you out of the will, and I'm going to go find somebody else in which I'm going to give my promise to. That's not the heart of God. God came back and said, no, 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 no. See, God is much more patient than that. And God's the same way with us. Listen, friends, none of us, none of us have obeyed God completely and quickly and perfectly like we wish we would have, right? I mean, all of us have had some terrors, some delays in our life. All of us had times where we obey God, but not completely. All of us, we get to a place where it's like, I can obey God this part, and this, this part is awkward, this part is painful, this part is uncomfortable. But what I love about God is that 
he still has a journey ahead for us. Abram was 50 years old when he originally left uh, Hot Tub City for, the, for the, the adventure that God called him to. He was 75 years old when he really got serious with the next part of his journey with God. I turned 60 years old this year, and uh, I feel right now in me personally I feel like I'm just beginning this whole new moment. You know what happens to you as you get older? I don't know what happened to you, but when I turned 50, something flipped inside of me. This is for me, okay? Something flipped inside of me from how long I had lived to how long I had left, okay? And when the decade thing hits 50, 60, 70, for me at least, there's more of that thing of, there's this urgency, I got to get on with it. And that's a good thing. By the way, my moment in worship today, my moment in worship today, when we were singing that first song, and talk, or second song, and talked about that 10,000 years from now we'll still be on this whole thing of worshiping God, that made me feel really good. So I'm, I'm turned 60, but I got a lot more, I got like thousands and tens of thousands of years because I'm a believer in Jesus, right? So are you. But on this earth, we have a certain amount of time. And sometimes we think, well, you know, I, because I waited, it, maybe it's too late. Maybe God's written me off. I'm going to tell you something. It's never too late to begin the journey or to resume the journey that God's called you to. It's never too late to hit the pause button again so that it unpauses. I love that about God. God has a new beginning for Abraham. He has a new beginning for us. Number two. So first one, it's never too late to begin a journey with God. Observation number two, write this down. The journey started with a promise. The journey started with a promise. Look at uh, uh, the first three verses again of this passage. This is a, a huge passage. Old Testament scholars will point to this, and they will say this is, a, this is what they would call like a big verse, okay? People who study the Bible. These, these first three verses of chapter 12 of Genesis, this is big stuff. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. Because God says, I'm going to, you can see, God wanted to, to reveal himself to people. And so God gives this promise to Abraham. And in it, he does a promise that affects all of the world. In fact, the book of, of Genesis is a story of new beginnings. The, the book of Genesis, in fact, the word Genesis means beginnings. And God gives new beginnings in Genesis to three couples. To, to Adam and Eve, he gave them the promise of a new world. Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> Adam and Eve chose to violate that. Uh, generations later, uh, Adam, uh, God gives a promise to Noah and his wife and to, to their sons and their families. It was a, a, a huge do-over. It was a, a fresh chance. It was a mulligan. It's called forgiveness. And now to Abraham and Sarah, God gives a promise to build out of him a great nation. Now think about that. What would it be like if God spoke to you as a, a, a young, uh, newly married or fairly newly married couple. Is there any fairly newly married types in this uh, room today? Just somebody point at them for me because they probably won't. Uh, so who, who we got here? Like married less than like 50 years. So, like, <laughs> so. so <clears throat> but here's the deal. I'll, I'll pick on you and your wife that's not yeah, here yeah. with you, okay? So let's say that God spoke to you and said, uh, I'm going to make out of you a new nation, okay? Now, there are two things that would have to happen in order for there to be a new nation. There, there's two. The first one would be that you would have to have a child. children. Yes, you'd have to have at least one child, okay? At least one. 
How many children should they have? Let's just take a vote. How, how many children should they have, Grandpa? They have enough. Do they have enough? Okay. <laughs> wow, I haven't expected that one. That's a guy that won't have to buy a bunch of Christmas presents right there. I know how that works. Oh, boy. Well, you have, to have, you have to have offspring first. Now, get this. Abraham was 50 years old when he got the promise. At this point, they didn't have any children. He's, even at 75, they still don't have any children. Okay? So this is going to be like a faith promise type thing. But you need to have people. The second thing you have to have is Place. property. That's very good. If you're going to be a nation, you have to have people, but you also have to have property. Those are the essential ingredients for every nation. So the story of the rest of the book of, of Genesis is really the struggle uh, and the fulfillment of this promise. There's this promise, there's this struggle. It's promise, there's struggle. Now, why is that so significant? Why would God single out one person, one people, one family, and then throughout that one nation? Ma many nations have, have come and gone throughout the world. Many nations in the world today. Why does God put the story of this one nation... You ever thought about that? Why does God take this one, this one fairly obscure nation that we call Israel today, and why does he put that front and center in all of history and point all of, the, all of life through that nation? It wasn't that this nation was going to have the world's largest gross national product. It wasn't that it was going to be the, the, the largest uh, geography in the world. It's, you know... Israel, if you look at a map, it's not that much bigger than King County. You know, it's, it's not a big landmass. It wasn't that it was going to have the world's greatest artists or musicians or greatest scholars. It wasn't that this word was going to have the largest uh, or, or going to have the strongest military machine, although they do have a great one. All of those things are the typical aspirations of typical nations. But there was something else about God's promise that made this nation unique, this promise given to Abraham, something about this nation that would set them apart from every nation in world history, and it was this. You see, God has always had one overarching purpose in all of humanity since the moment that sin entered the world, and it was his desire to redeem the world or to buy the world back one person at a time because his love is constant it is passionate for every human soul that has ever lived or will ever live on planet earth and God decided in his wisdom that he was going to do this act of redemption now the word redemption simply means to buy back. You know, these, these religious-sounding words like, like redemption, you know, that's like, that, like Bible scholars speak or, or, or preachers speak. So I like to put it in terms that we can really get a hold of. Redemption means to buy back. And, and, and here's how it works for me. Uh, back in 1991, just I want you to think about this. Do we have any classic car uh, lovers out here? Okay. It's okay to raise your hand. Well, go ahead. Raise your hand. Go. We're taking up an offering. God's speaking to you to give your classic cars. No. 1991, I love old cars. In 1991, I bought a 69 Mustang that needed a bunch of work, okay? Uh, it was, you know, it had, it, had all, it had good bones, as they would say, but that was about it. And, and over a period of years, I painstakingly took it through a process of bringing it back its full value. So we did all kinds of body work on it. Uh, I had a new engine put in it. I had it painted the brightest red that I could possibly find. I had the upholstery redone. 
I had uh, uh, the glasswork redone. I had the rubbers around the glasswork done. I had, I had it all, all dialed in and redone because I wanted to give it back its full value. Well, about 11 years later, in 2002, I sold the car, and uh, that's how it looked then. Uh, I sold the car, and uh, uh, at that point, it was lost to me, okay? It was lost to me at that point. And about two and a half years later, I started looking around for another Mustang to fix up, because I just it's, it's an addiction. Star Trek, classic cars, Reese's peanut butter cups are coming later. That's the third thing I deal with in my life. But... Uh, so I'm starting to talk, you know, I kind of start talking myself into it, then I start talking my wife into it. And so then I'm kind of working, I'm thinking, I'm going to find another Mustang to redo. But every time I would look at a car, I would compare it to this car, okay? And, I, and they just never really measured up. It just, uh, I, can't, I couldn't go there. I thought, man, that's like more expensive than mine. My car is way better. So I keep going through this, and that's why I would not buy it. I'd keep waiting and waiting. And finally, one day, I heard that the woman I had sold the car to was now going to maybe sell it. So I went to her and I said, hey, I heard that maybe you might sell this, this car. She said, yeah. She says, you know, I, 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 I just, I haven't driven it much. I love the car. She says, but I actually have only put 170 miles on it and professionally garaged it. She took me into her very, very, very nice uh, heated shop where they keep their beautiful cars. And it's sitting in there. And she said, you know, I just, I just haven't driven it like I thought I would and stuff. So she said, if, if you want to buy it, she said, I'll, I'll sell it to you for the same price that, that, uh, that I bought it for and a, and, a, and a $200 storage fee. Done. And in that moment, on December 22nd, 2005, just a couple of days before Christmas, I bought back, I redeemed that car. You see, what Jesus did ultimately for us is he bought us back after we had been lost because of sin. He redeemed us. He gave us back our full value. He bought us back. His creation had been lost because of sin. And God decided that he was going to build a nation through Abraham and that that promise was a promise of redemption for the entire world. See, here's what the promise really was looking like. God would, through the nation of Israel, would form out of Abraham uh, a nation that God would have to do three things. First of all, he would have Israel light the way for the rest of the world. It was like Israel would be his light. He says, you want to know what, what, what I'm all about? Look at Israel. Israel's going to light the way. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He said, he said, I will also give thee, Israel, I will give you, Israel, to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, everybody know who the Gentiles are, right? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That's kind of how it works. So what God said, I want to do this in and through Israel, but I'm not just doing it for Israel. I'm doing this for everyone. I want everyone to see who I am, how much I love them. I want to see my interactions. And because with God, listen, because with God, everything is personal. He does it through a person named Abraham. He discloses himself to him. He discloses it through a family. And that family grows into a nation. And through that, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So we're all in this story. The second thing is that Israel became the keeper of God's word. Have you thought about this? What other nation, what other nation in history has had the job of preserving this I just saw on the news this morning, 
There was a big deal about in, in, a, in a museum talking about a new technology regarding, you know, the Bible digitally done by, well, that's been around for quite a while, but, it, you know, the news, they finally get around to some of these things, but it's a big deal. They're talking about the Bible being the all-time bestseller, which we've all known that. But what you got to remember is there are many, 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 many books that were written long ago. Very few of them still exist. And those that have been reprinted, many times they get corrupted because people aren't careful. God had the scribes painstakingly make sure that not one tiny, tiny little bit of his word was lost or messed up or confused so that you and I would have a complete, accurate record of all that God had done. Thirdly, it was through that promise, through Abraham, that God ultimately brings to us the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the great buybacker for all mankind. Jesus came as a Jew. He was born out of the line of people that traced all their beginnings to back to Abraham. So it all started with the promise. Listen, the fact that you and I can even know God and that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can know that God has a purpose for our lives. It's all contained in the beginnings in this promise in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. Our journey starts with a promise, just like Abraham's did, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't just, you know, it's funny. God doesn't just give us, oh, I'll, just, I'll promise to save you, and that's it. There are many, many promises that God gives us beyond that. Promises of forgiveness, promises of healing, promise of direction, promises of peace. See, peace is not just being safe, peace is also feeling safe, all right? Promise about our future and the promise of purpose. One of the greatest things about the way God set up all of this redemption buyback plan was that God decided that he wanted to let you and I be part of the greatest thing that he would do on planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? Because when we get to be part of showing God's love to another person, when we get to be a friend to someone, when we show the kindness of God, the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Do you understand that you just being kind to people is a mark that you are redeemed and you get to be part of that? See, just that God would let you be a part of that is an amazing thing because I'll tell you what, God's almighty. He can do everything perfectly by himself. When we get involved, we kind of mess it up a little bit, don't you think? Okay, We all do. But God loves us so much that he wants us to be part of what brings him the greatest joy. And that is seeing one person, one man, one woman, one teenager, one child at a time come back to faith in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It starts with a promise. And third and finally, the journey was marked by altars. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants... I will give this land. Now, by this time, uh, he was not in Ur anymore. He wasn't in Mesopotamia. By this time, he wasn't in Haran. Okay? By this time, he had gone from Chaldea all the way into Canaan. He is standing in the promised land. Okay? If he took his sandals off, he would have his toes in that property that God said he would give to him. And when he gets there, 
God speaks these words to him. He says, he says, to your, listen, to your descendants, I will give this land. And then Abraham said, wait a minute, time out. To my descendants, wait a minute, you gave this promise to me. You gave it to me. I was the one that spent my life. I was the one, I was the one that took the faith journey. I was the one that ultimately left it all behind. I was that one. And now you're saying you're giving it to my descendants? What about me? Okay. What about me? He didn't say that. He didn't. That's kind of what I would say. I'd say, what about me? You know, well, great for my kids. Great. What about me? No. He doesn't say that. He said what he did is his response was the same as it had always been in his life. Every time that God had met him, every time that God had spoken to him, he did the same thing. He built an altar to the Lord. Now, an altar was usually, you want to see what it was, it was usually a pile of, of stones put together. Maybe they would offer a sacrifice there. They would pray. They would worship there. But it was a, a visible monument, a place of remembrance that says, God spoke to me here, God met me here, and I have responded obediently to what God said to me here. And if you were to study Abram's life, or if you could if you kind of get a bird's eye view on, or look at a map of Abram's journey, you would see that at every place, at five different times in his journey, God met him, and five times he built an altar before the Lord. He said, God, I heard you. God, you met me. God, I respond to you. Would you stand with me, please? See, we have, we have a way of, of building altars, too. We have a place of remembrance. Because Jesus once said, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember me. I grew up as a little kid in church, and I can tell you, just as a little boy in church, every time we would serve communion, for me, it was a somber moment that God was real, He was here, that He spoke even to children, and He spoke to me, and I heard Him. I'd like to have those that are going to come and uh, help us to serve communion come at this time. Uh, Pastor Andrew, if you would come as well. We're going to worship the Lord a little bit. Pastor Andrew will give instructions as to how we're going to do that. But here's what I want for all of us. I want us to have a time of remembrance. You know, we're on this journey with God. It's a faith journey. And it's an amazing journey. And while, while I've been talking, what I really hope is I hope the Holy Spirit has been talking to you individually personally maybe you've kind of had a journey in your life where you kind of stopped and started or you started and stopped and you felt like you got stuck there were circumstances there were there were reasons some of the reasons may feel like an excuse to you in this moment but some of them maybe they were valid but you felt like you know I never really got to where I felt God wanted me to go I just want to say this to you it's never too late because if you, if you go dismissive, you think, oh, well, that door's closed. I've missed that. No, 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 no. Abraham was an old guy when God said, it's time to continue again. Okay? Don't dismiss it. God may be speaking to some of you today about that next place in your life. Okay? 
Maybe God's speaking to you about some aspect of redemption. He wants to buy something back in you, in your family, in your home. Maybe it's about his purpose for you in your life. Today at this altar, while we're serving communion, while we're sharing that together, I want you to let God meet you here in this moment.